turn back to Hebrews 11 where we read on Sunday. I think tonight will be part four. And we had read Sunday there in Hebrews 11, chapter 3, and wanted to really spend as much time as I could to focus on that. And I don't feel like that I ever even scratched the surface on what I was trying to get across. But the God who is invisible. You believe God is invisible tonight? If you'll turn down to verse 27, just chapter 11, verse 27. <clears throat> we'll read one verse before you're seated. This is talking about Moses and what he we read to you a while back and there were Matthew where he talked about the man that found that pearl of great price and what he did to, to, to obtain it and to gather it and, and how much he valued it and it says right in these preceding verses what Moses when he come to it what he, what he thought it was worth it was worth his life verse 27 he says by faith he forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king for he endured as seeing him who is invisible you may be seated tonight, enduring as seeing him who is invisible. Now we've covered in this who is God, what is God, where is God, what kind of a God he is. And it's not just the word God as far as being an object of worship, for that's what he is and that's what we spent the last 35 minutes or so spending as much time as we could to worship him, to take our hearts and snap ourselves out of our, our daily grind, our daily life, our own even little rut, and take that time and worship him, to raise his, our hands to him and say, Lord, I want to testify before my brothers and sisters that I still think he's great, that I still think he's alive, that he's still moving in my life. I want to stand in this place and testify of that tonight. Maybe you didn't feel that way, but that's what I want to do. I want to tell you right now, my God is great. My God is real. My God is still moving amongst his people. I hope you know him that way tonight. I hope you know him that way tonight. If you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, chapter 3, verse 13, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Think about what it's saying. Now, he's come off the Mount of Zion. He's been in the presence of Elohim. He's even seen that body walk by. And he comes down from the hearing of the word and, and being in the presence of the word. And it's so changing that his face was shining like the sun, that he had to put a veil over his face, that they couldn't even look right at his face. Not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look. Now think about that through eyes of revelation. They could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. What was to be abolished? The law of sin and death. That's what was to be abolished. And in their own flesh and in their own laws and commandments, and they turned them into traditions of, and all these things of man to where it made it none effect. They, they created, well, this, this, these ten that he gave us, they're probably not going to be enough, so we've got to insert our own ideas and thoughts and, and add mores and more and more and more and more to making it a vain tradition to where by the time that the word shows up in actual physical flesh, we won't even recognize him. You heard me. Take those ten commandments, those ten laws that was breathed out of the mouth of God and written out with his finger upon the stone, and they would take those ten and add two and add two and add two, and thereby making the word of God none effect. And it so blinded them 
to where that when the word showed up, they didn't even recognize him. Didn't even recognize him. So we have, in probably maybe even a physical form, we still have the tablets that your finger wrote. They might have even taken the finger of Jesus and put in there, and it fit that same index finger, but we still don't think you're him. And it's interesting that the prophet said in our day, somewhere in 58, 59, he said that the coming of the Lord is going to be so different than anything you could ever imagine or ever think. It's going to come in a way that you'll never think. They couldn't steadfastly look to the end. They couldn't look to the end. We sang that song earlier, the rock of my salvation. He is the rock of my salvation. The Bible even calls me in one place as a great rock in a weary land. Amos would call uh, that there will come a time that there's a famine for the hearing, uh, not for the of food, but a famine for hearing of the word. And it's not that the word's not available. It's that they've stopped their ears. They've closed their eyes. They've hardened their hearts where they don't care anymore. The only thing that could save them, that could change them, that could literally create an atmosphere and an environment that they wouldn't mind living on this planet, they don't want. They don't want a God like that because he has requirements. And they don't want their lives to line up with what the word says. That's when flesh starts bucking back and fighting and saying, I don't want that. I don't care what he says. I really don't want it. And I've told you many times, it's not that these words will ever come out of their mouth, but their fruits will show it all day long. They could not look to it being abolished. But you understand a prophecy that was given. I will make a way. I will make a way. Verse 14, but their minds were blinded. Their minds were blinded. Did, did they... Uh, when Moses was uh, was you know was writing it down, and then Paul comes along and he reads what Moses is is saying, and and it's all those historical commentary and and all the scribes written down. Did they perhaps mistakenly mean to write eyes and not minds? Was that a mix up? Because it says their minds were blinded, that their minds were blinded, not eyes. You're reading it, not eyes, but minds were blinded. Minds, this is the day of the transformation of the mind. This is the day of the renewing of the mind. The prophet preached a message called the power of transformation. Now, we all say these things as I speak in a human flesh, and you hear tonight in a human flesh, and not just picking it up with your ears, but through auditory and through visual. You see me moving around, you see my lips moving, but also your spirit's hearing what I'm saying. You ever, you ever felt your spirit hear something that your ears didn't catch? You have? We, we were talking on the way home the other night. Uh, we was listening to the message of the rapture. And every time you could feel that he's about to say something really good, your spirit would almost like sit on the edge of its seat, and then everything goes crazy behind me. Every kid, every, everybody's fighting and bickering, all these different things. And, and, and like, what, what just happened? Stop, and let me turn this up and back it up and play it again. Your spirit can hear. Your, your mind isn't the, the brain matter that sits here. That mind falls on the spirit. And, and we're, we're to be told to be very careful how we hear, how we see, and what we allow to pass through these, these channels. If you're constantly feeding on garbage, 
If you live next to a dump, and every day you go over and get you buckets of it, and you cook it up, and you cook that garbage, and that's what you're putting in yourself. No different through your mind, your ears, your, your thinking, your reasoning, all that things you're feeding on, feeding on. The prophet would tell you, he said, he said, let me look at the things you read. Let me look at the things you read. Let me look at the people you hang out with. Let me look at the music you listen to. I can tell you what kind of man you are. By the music I listen to, by the things I read, by the people I hang out with, you can tell what kind of man I am? He said, yes, I can. And it doesn't take a prophet to do it. It's because of what you're feeding on. It's what you're feeding on. Their minds were blinded. For until this day, this man is standing roughly, my guess is a thousand years after 1,500 years after Moses had the Ten Commandments in stone. I don't have an exact number, but he's standing all these years later, and he's telling you from then until now, from then until now, until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away. Untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Which veil is done away in Christ? Now, this is the prophet Paul. This is the apostle Paul sitting here, the one that was writing this in the, this letter to Corinthians. Now, you have all these years later, you have another prophet that's born and it comes along and is raised through all the tests and all the trials to make a man that no matter what kind of influence or pressure comes his way, he'll only say what God says. Only say what God says. And then the word comes to him, the revelation comes, the, the mysteries of the seals are open, and he makes a statement that, that once Christ has been revealed, it made this a brand new book. It made it a brand new book. When the mysteries, the seals come off this book, it made it a brand new book. He said that when you go back and read now with that revelation in your life and in your heart and your mind, that you now, you should be able to see Christ on every single page. Every single page. I don't just mean the fourth man in the fire. I don't just mean the ball of fire in there with, da with Daniel and the Den of Lions. I don't just mean that, that one that looks down with angry eyes and the Red Sea gets scared and parts. I don't just mean that. And you go back through every Old Testament representation, not just Elohim, not just Melchizedek, not just Jehovah, not just the wheel in the middle of the wheel, not just the rock hewed out of the mountain without hands, but every single Old Testament representation, they were allowed to not see with their eyes, but lock on with their hearts. That's God. Can you imagine telling uh, other people about him? Oh, he's a wheel in the middle of a wheel. They're like, I ain't heard that one before. We've heard of statues. We've heard of rocks. We've heard of those that worship the sun. So you're telling me your God is the wheel in the middle of the wheel? Yes, he is. He holds everything together. He holds everything together. By him all things were made. By him that no things that exist would not exist without him. Everything comes from him. They're like, oh, that makes more sense now. Oh, now what about the rock hewed out of the mountain without hands? We come across the scripture where it talks about this cornerstone that the builders have rejected. Those that were supposed to know God, supposed to live for God, supposed to daily studying, hearing, listening, everything that God has. And when the cornerstone shows up, you're building your temple. You come along, you grab that stone, get ready. To... I don't like that one. They take him, chuck him off in the weeds. That was the chief cornerstone. What are you doing? 
You've been laying the word. You've been laying the word. You've been anointing it, taking it. Something went wrong because when you grabbed the chief stone, you didn't want him. The chief stone. Something went wrong. Something in their eyes were blinded. If you've ever laid brick before and you're running down a run and you've got all supposed to be the exact same brick, you're grabbing brick, you're laying mortar, you're grabbing brick, and if someone throws some blocks in there or a different color, that doesn't match. Why does that not fit? You're looking at it now with our eyes. Maybe it's not the same size. Maybe something is not the right color. Now, we're not talking about building a physical house. We're talking about the body of God fitly joined together so if the chief cornerstone does not fit in what you built tear it all down tear it all down Lord burn it out of my mind it don't fit get it out get it out it must match him at all costs it must match him well my dad did this my grandfather my great grandfather 1,000 years 2,000 years whoever it is it don't matter if it's wrong it don't matter if it's wrong. It's got to look like Christ. That's the problem we're standing here tonight. For the last 2,000 years, men have put their hands in the Word of God, and they twisted and twisted and twisted and twisted to now where each one of us, having been born at the exact allotted time that you were born, and you were born, and you were born, you were born in those times and those years of that hybridization, that watering down, that weakening of the Word, to where that I can read the Scripture, and the exact effect of the Scripture should heal you instantly. Instantly, all of me reading the word, you should be healed. And you hear it, oh, that sounds good. What's next? That sounds good. What's next? No, heal you instantly. One word. They watered it and weakened it to where it made it worth nothing. See, the word's a person. So your own value and your own estimation of Elohim, it, it, it'll look a lot like how you treat each other, how you work your job, the way you value him, the way you live for him. It's going to look a lot how you drive your car, how you take care of your car, how you mow your grass, how you treat your neighbor, how you treat your brother and sister. Most importantly, how you treat someone to walk up smashing your face. You want to know how you think about Elohim? Let someone hit you in the face sometime, and you'll see how you think about Elohim. You believe the word is true? You believe the word is true? Honestly believe that? The Bible says, how can you say, I love God and hate my brother? The Bible says, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. Well, they come up to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? Who's my brother? And he lays out a parable. And they're like, well, I got a lot more directly pointed than I wanted it to go. But this is the word. This is the word. For until this day, remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. What is that veil? What is that veil? That veil was, was, was only meant to be something that happened at the fall. Adam didn't have this veil. Did Adam not walk in the cool of the evening with him? Did Adam not hear lip to ear just like a prophet would? Would you say that veil is upon him? He didn't have the mysteries here before the foundation world, but he still knew who God was. When God walked up each day, he's, oh, it's Elohim. It's good to see you again. He didn't walk up and say, mm, you kind of look like somebody's going to call Beelzebub later. 
Every time, that's Elohim. And what if he showed up different manifestations? Every time, Adam said, that's Elohim. Every single time. What if he just showed up as a stone, as a wheel in the middle of the wheel? What if he showed up with a ball of fire or a pillar of, a pillar of fire or a cloud? That's Elohim. Every time, that's Elohim. No veil upon Adam. And then, with the fall and everything that was unbelief was entered in. So you, now you see what causes the veil. It's unbelief. Unbelief takes that veil and it takes your image of God and it does that. So now you don't see him anymore. But once you ever do see him, he's all you see. And you start seeing more and you realize the more that you surrender yourself to him, the more of him you see. No, it's not supposed to be like that. He's supposed to just drop in this revelation to me. I can say how I am. I can live any way I want. I can be whatever I want to be. And he'll just give me this revelation of who he is, and it's all good to go. Nope, 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 nope. That ain't you. you ain't read the same book I've been reading. Nope, it must be a dying out daily. Well, I'm a pretty good person. You must be a dying out daily. A dying out daily. This veil, this unbelief that is put upon them, even to the point where Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians that even today it's still there. It's a veil of unbelief. It's a heart of unbelief. They hear the word and their heart doesn't just go crazy. There was something said about, and I can't remember exactly how it's quoted, about that Welsh revival that I mentioned to you uh, just some in the last few weeks. That it says along the lines that any little thing God did, any little thing God did would set their hearts on fire. Any little things. You want my ankle don't hurt as bad today. Glory to God. My tooth don't hurt. Glory to God. Well, I need to see, you know, the water's part of it. No, God's moving. I don't hurt as bad today. God's moving. Something's different. It might be that big. Something's different. God's moving. Praise the Lord. Your toothache gets better. Your leg feels better. You're this. Well, I'm just... You need to get a little closer to the fire. He said, but even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Now, the, 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 what God had breathed upon the ear of Moses, what God had put in his heart, what God showed him through all those visions and everything that was put in, and, and it's amazing to where uh, even the temple in the wilderness and, and, and all that was the way it was so specifically designed, and we've covered that some in our communion services and how special that brazen labor is. How special that brazen labor is. It had to be moved everywhere they moved. That brazen labor is to represent the sea of glass in that new kingdom. It's the meant to the washing. Where the prophet said that you're to be washed by the waters of the word. But if you won't get in the word, how can you get washed? If you won't get in the word, how can you be washed? By the way, communion Sunday night, if you, if you had forgotten, communion foot washing Sunday night. But unto this day, the veil is upon their heart. This reading of Moses, the reading of Moses and what God had, had put upon his heart. You have all these things. And, and it's, it's funny, here now 2,000 years later, uh, that, that people will say, we don't even have to take the Old Testament. That the Old Testament was, in fact, the Old Testament. Or they would say it's the Old Covenant. It was all these things, but it was still God. I, you're not that room, are you, that don't believe the Old Testament? You believe the Old Testament? You believe it's God? You believe it's the Word of God? You believe it's the will of God? It was for them in that particular day, but you can still, with an eyes of understanding and revelation, go back and through and see things God has for you in your day right now. You fall asleep on me tonight? Come on now. Same God. Same God. Same God. Same God. Same God. 
that sits in you right now. It's the same God. So he's talking about even under that dispensation. And so many people say that, well, the law was done away with because grace did this. The law was given to be a schoolmaster to bring you to Christ. Well, no, we didn't like what the law said, and it didn't like this, so we didn't want to obey that law. We didn't want to obey that law. And now you're here to do away with it, all of it, so that's wonderful. We don't have to do that pesky law no more. That's not what he said. He magnified the law. He took it and magnified it, and he, even in his flesh, brings a revelation to you because you, you, you understand when he sits there and says these things that you don't have to have a revelation of what he's saying. When he stands there 2,000 years ago in that flesh and is talking about that commandment where to, to, uh, to, to commit adultery, to, to sleep with another man's wife, that you've committed adultery in the very physical act. That's what the law said. And he's standing there telling you, I'm telling you that if you look at a woman to commit adultery in your heart, you're just as guilty. You know that didn't take a revelation for them to hear him say that? You understand that? That all you got to do is be able to hear? Wait a minute. You're saying that I don't even have to touch her. All I got to do is look at her, and I'm accounted for adultery. And where do adulterers and fornicators go? Where do adulterers, fornicators, liars, whoremongers, where do they go? Lake of fire. Lake of fire. That ain't changed. Lake of fire. And they're thinking, well, I guess maybe this guy's crazy, so we won't accept that either. We don't believe the law. We ain't got to believe what he says. We'll just keep trucking along. And they'll just kind of just, just kind of out of sight, out of mind. We just won't read that part of the scripture anymore. It don't thrill me like it ought to. But every word of God is good for edification, building up, changing you, rapture condition. You won't take it and look at, well, I guess now i got to stop cheating on my wife. No, you look at it, I don't cheat on my wife. God fixed that part of my character, and that's healed, and that's redeemed, and I don't have to struggle with those thoughts anymore. But now, what is he saying? He's telling you about an intimacy and a communion and a fellowship and relationship with him, even in that moment. Because, again, everything that's natural will type the spiritual. Now we just got serious. We're no longer talking about cheating on your wife, looking at other things. Now we're talking about cheating on your God, your husband, your Lord, your Savior, your Redeemer. And that's, that gets real, real, real close to where every one of us would struggle today. Well, I'm not an idolater. I'm not guilty of those things. There's not one person sitting in this room that ain't guilty of idolatry. Not one person. There's a human behind every eye sitting here right now, and you've had to be forgiven of these things. You're going to screech your halo right now? No, this is truth. This is truth. Each one of us, if you've looked at this, if you looked at this, if you gave time to this, if you took and gave more time to that, something that means nothing, than you give to him, you made it an idol. The prophet taught that. You made it an idol. Cell phones. Uh, radios, music, TVs, clothes, you name it. You, you just fill in the blank. Satan will let you do anything with that. Satan can't create. He can pervert. So he'll take something God has created and pervert it to make it be something that's unlawful. And it's not necessarily that, that it will send you to hell, but it'll make your life on earth hell. We've had that question brought up, well, does this put somebody in hell? Does this sin? Does this thing, these unbelief put someone in hell? There's... In an innocency, let's say no, but it will make your life here miserable. Absolutely miserable. Absolutely miserable.
But he's saying that even then, that when Moses is read, when that revelation is given, they won't take and turn their hearts back to him. Because even then, when they come across those Old Testament, uh, the scripture, and it's talking about different things like that, it's too simple for them that they won't see that that's between him and them. They think it's between him and them. And they won't say, wait a minute, I must turn all of my heart, thoughts, and intents, everything toward him. All my dreams, all my understanding, my imagination must be focused solely on my beloved so that he can be my beloved. Beloved means to be, I love him. I love him. The prophet would tell us how that he would write letters back and forth to me. They'd be gone for months at a time in missionaries, different things like that. He said she'd write him a letter. He said, I can read between the lines. She'd write me a letter such as, uh, well, you know, we did certain search today. We got the washing done, and we cleaned the house today, and, and then we got the kids ready for bed. We bathed the kids. We fed them supper, bathed the kids, put them to bed. All right, I love you, sweetie. I'll send you another letter. He said, you're just reading that. He said, I'm seeing a wife that loves me. I can read between the lines. And you're thinking, well, how menial would it be for a woman to lower herself down to be able to do laundry, to be able to take care of a child? This is, this is the common thought of today. A woman can't be a woman, and a man sure can't be a man. You can't. You're, you're perverted if you are. Then in their eyes, you're perverted if you're a straight male. You're perverted if you're a straight female. Proverbs 31, don't even mention that. Uh, uh, whatever the actual Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, man, don't mention him either. Don't mention that man because he ain't a man. That's not what they want. Everything is so diluted into those things. But when you can read between the lines and see what he says to you. So we talked about that. <clears throat> what it takes to come into this room, each service. Uh, and, and then you have, we all have Sundays, we all have Wednesdays. There's no one of us skips any of those things. Each one of us, you wake up on Sunday, it's your Sunday, and the next day is Wednesday. So you have that day's test, that day's trials that you're to go through that day. And then you have to go to church at the end of that. Because the prophet said, if Christ is in your heart, you can't wait for the doors to be open. Well, is he or isn't he? If Christ is in your heart, he said you can't wait for the doors to open. So if, you, if, you're, if you're a Holy Ghost Filled believer in love of the Lord Jesus, it doesn't exempt you from your test and your trials. It doesn't exempt you from your affliction of those things. You still have those things, but you get up each day. Lord, I will face each one. I love you, Lord. I will go do this. And I will, all those things, yet you still walk in here with all that, uh, all that. I don't want to say baggage. I want to say just the clustering of all that Satan has thrown on you in the day. It's almost sometimes like you're a magnet walking through a shavings room or something like that. You're catching every little burr, sticking to it. And by the time you get those doors, you might be frustrated, irritated, mad, sleepy, tired. You know, any of those different emotions that Satan is putting on you to keep you out of when you step in here. You're not just walking through steel doors, but you're stepping into another dimension. It's what it's meant to be. You're not meant to just open those doors and let's walk in this room and let's, let's look at our lives, look at all this, check out everybody's clothes, what it is, let's sing, let's talk, let's all that, let's go. No, you're meant to be coming into that you're not looking at me. Your, your thought, your idea, your motive, your objective is that, that right here there's a throne room. Right here's a throne room. You're not coming to see me. You're coming to see him. So where is he? So whatever it takes to get your life surrendered, to get your attitude, to get your, 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 your everything surrendered, Lord, Lord, I don't want to sit in this worship service and everyone else worshiping, and they obviously look like the Holy Ghost is moving on them right now and me sit there just getting nothing. 
Lord, I want to know whatever it takes to let me move from that dimension into that dimension for at least an hour or two. Let me stay there at least an hour or two. Don't just give me a second. Let my life be changed. That way when I come back, I am different than when I walked in. You don't get different just walking into this room, being in the same normal room and walk back out. You only get different in his presence. You only get different in his presence. If I was to bring some great oration, some great swelling words of man's wisdom, and I had an intellectual prowess to be able to deliver some kind of sermon that was like, oh, that's just, I just really, no, that ain't what you come here for. Not one of you here to hear me. You're not here to hear me. You're here to only hear him in the power and manifestation of the Holy Ghost. Now, the way this works is, is a room full of hearts full of faith. Hearts full of faith. It's where any little thing God does, you go crazy over. Look what he did. Look what he did. You know how many how many um, idol worshipers sit for hours just staring at their idol, just staring. Oh, oh did it move? Oh, did, no, it's my imagination. And you stare. And Catholics do this all the time. They stare and stare and stare and stare. And many of them say, oh, I saw it move. I saw it move. And it's just your imagination. Not a, not a real God. Not a real God. Not a real God. But your God moves. Your God moves, so how long will you wait? How long will you tarry? How long will you spend there on the edge of your seat, riveted attention? Lord, speak. We asked you this Sunday about what happens when at least two or three are gathered together. He comes near. What happens when he comes near? Everything changes. Everything changes. You change. You change. I just sitting in the ripening of the sun. We've got tomatoes on our vine over here. They're starting to come through. We've got a lot that are green. If we were to take those tomatoes and hide them into a basement and never let them see light, they'll stay green, rot, and die. But if we let them sit in the presence of that sun and let him bake all that greenness out of them, and then it'll make a real good fruit where you could take it and eat it and enjoy what God created it to be. But you've got to sit in the ripening of the sun. He said, even under this day when Moses read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord. I'll read it again. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord. You reading the same thing I'm saying? That's prophecy. That's not saying if it does, maybe, who knows, you know, coincidentally, could do. No, he's telling you, I'm going to prophesy to you. It's going to turn to the Lord. And this is what's going to happen. The veil shall be taken away. That veil, forgiven, redeemed, everything opened back up. Nothing between my soul and my Savior. Everything opened back up. When it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. He said, now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord, there is. Oh, liberate me. Set me free, Lord Jesus. Do you love him tonight? What a mighty God we serve. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 6. <coughs> verse 13, chapter 6, verse 13. For when God, for when God made promise, for when God made promise to Abraham, again, if you can hear this tonight with a heart full of faith, 
with ears that have been redeemed, eyes that have been redeemed, hearts and minds and lives that have surrendered. Let, tell me what this does to your soul when I read this. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Patiently endured, 25 years. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. This oath. The seal of the nations, UN, the United Nations, all these used to be the League of Nations, all those things, they would come together, they would have an armistice, and they would say this war is over, this dispute is over, you sign, I sign, we all keep that treaty. And we swear by whatever you want to swear by. Now what Abraham was promised by God was not an end to war. It was not an end to war. You understand? Because in this flesh, you're always going to have war. The type of Canaan that was promised to the seed of Abraham in that day was not a type of the millennium. It was not a type of heaven. It was a type of uh, the, the, the possession of the Holy Ghost. Now you must be able to step up and go and claim your land. You cannot claim your land without the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That promise was given to you, and that was saying it was still in this flesh. We're talking about the promise as it existed in this realm and in this flesh, what it would do to this body. You still all, each one, get up in this realm and in this body, and you don't fight, you don't war and wrestle with, with flesh and blood anymore. Now you wrestle with spirits of darkness and powers of darkness. So when you get up each day, you're right back in the battle. Nobody else? Come on now. Right back in the battle. Battle gets hot sometimes, don't it? It gets hard. Satan comes at you like a flood. He said he'd come like a flood. But God made a promise. God made a promise that I will raise up a standard in your life. He's keeping that all linked with Abraham's seed. That promise is unto you. That promise is unto you. And he swore this promise by there was no one greater that could back it up and enforce what he said. No one greater could back it up. For men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation to them is an end of all strife. Verse 17, wherein God, back, into, back to where, how the, he would make a promise and even, even be there to back it up. He said, wherein God, and I love little uh, one word or two word statements. Says a lot of times you'll find the scripture, it steps right up into a verse. Let me tell you what he says. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Elohim. This isn't Paul's writing. This isn't Paul's words. This isn't the man Paul saying, wherein Paul, wherein uh, John, wherein any other apostle. This is God. So who's, who's going to back this up? Who's going to make this come to pass? <clears throat> wherein God willing. Now you focused on his will. His will for your life. God willing more abundantly. So now you know it's not just a trickle. It's not just a little bit, maybe just a few good days and all bad days. No, he willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs, the heirs of promise, of promise. We are the seed, the faith seed of Abraham. Everything he promised Abraham, he promised you. 
If I had time to get into just, uh, just in the paying ties alone and how that was linked to Levi years later just because he made the promise to Abraham and it was then thus linked just generations later to Levi to show you that time does not matter to this one that made the promise. It does not matter. It don't matter if it was 100 years or 7,000 years later. He still will back it up. Willing more abundantly. Now you see his zeal. You see his enthusiasm. You see he wants to get it done. More abundantly. He's not just walking around, I guess. I mean, I ain't doing nothing later. I probably can do it for you. He's not the unjust judge. That parable was given to show you of a, a patient heart, a patient persistence, a perseverance. Lord, I need you. I need you. We just covered how that Abraham, when he patiently endured, he retained the promise. And that parable was given about that unjust judge, that will that comes to him. And he said, because she knocks and knocks and knocks and knocks and won't go away, that I'll give her what she wants. Our God is not an unjust judge. Our God is the just judge. He is God alone. He is the one that's here now in the judge form to bring it to pass. Willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs. Now you're again, you're talking about the reading of a will. The reading of a will. That's how heirs are communicated to them what they got. I, I've never been to a reading of a will, so I'm, I'm only going off of what I've heard. When you've been called to the reading of a will, you're an inheritor. You inherit something that, that was left to you, whether it's a grain of sand, whether it's worth a trillion dollars, or anything in between. The point of it is someone who owned something is transferring that ownership into your hands. That's the way inheritance works. It doesn't that you have an uncle that dies and leaves you $100, $1,000, $10,000, and then when uh, on the day of the resurrection, he comes back through and says, give it back. Think about that. It's yours. It's yours. If he gives it to you, it's yours. Now, you have the right to get up and walk out of that hearing, out of that room, and say, no thanks. You have the right. I don't want it. I don't need it. And walk away. Now, we do this more often with the promises of God than we do with the lie of the devil. We do it more often with the promise of God than we do with the lie of the devil. The devil sends you all these symptoms of lies and cons and vanities, all this junk he throws your way. You open your door. It comes to delivery. You sign for it. Thank you. Okay, I guess now I have X, Y, Z. The doctor said, I feel it. But my inheritance says he sent his word and healed all of my diseases. He sent his word and healed everyone. So what is true? A heart full of faith. See, faith believes. A believer, they just believe. It ain't got to be something, some kind of great Oh, I finally you know, got all my degrees, and, and I'm now the smartest of the smartest, and now I can finally believe in God. Or, or now uh, I've done this, and I've got all these years of experience, and I've been serving the Lord for you know, 120 years, and now I'm a, I'm a real good believer. Faith doesn't work like that. Faith simply believes he's not a liar. Simply believes he's not a liar. 
And when you take every promise of God and you slide it over into your hands and you're looking at it, is this for me? Will he really do what he said? Wait a minute. He's not a liar. And we just read to you that he's willing more abundantly to show unto you that he's not a liar, that he'll bring it to pass. You realize that he'll take whatever faith you'll give him? Whatever faith, you know, the prophet, we, we quoted that on Sunday about that little tiniest speck of God that Brother Ram said, I think it's in Patmos vision. He said just the tiniest part of God, if you had just the tiniest, maybe say the size of a fingernail, amount of God in you, faith of God, that you could create a whole other planet and go live a private life on it. That's small. Jesus says in Mark 11 about the seed, of the, 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 the size of a grain of mustard seed. It's not Mark 11, it's, I don't remember. But it's just, just that smallest little thing. So then you're on mind, you're like, well, I must, have, I must have all this faith, I must have this faith. No, you just believe he's not a liar. You believe he'll do what he says. Do you believe he'll do what he says tonight? So if that's true, what you just said, what you just testified, if it's really true that you could take faith in your heart smaller than I can fit between my fingers, faith in your heart, as we sit in this room right now, as you sit there in those clothes you're dressed in and with those tests and trials and all the struggles you've been with today and you sit there right now with that tiniest amount of faith, you can start to see God moving. And it only takes that little bit. You can start to see God moving right now. I done told you, the Bible says that the preaching of the word sets the captive free, that he sent his word and healed all thine diseases. I'm sure that each one of us, if you were to check, has something wrong with you physically right now. Something wrong. Something wrong physically. At, at the very least, not all of us are 18. At the very least, we're not all 18. We're to be turned back to that. That's that complete healing. That's that complete purchase possession of the resurrection is to completely all death arrested and back in that picture that he had before the foundation of the world. So each one of us need that right now. And if your heart can grab it, even as I speak these words, your life can be changed. It doesn't have to be, poof, you're 18. It can be, I'm different somehow. The Bible says here a little, there a little. Here a little, there a little. And a lot of times, if you keep reading that with stammering lips and other tongues, well, I speak to my people. But if you take that thought, here a little, there a little. Here a little, there a little. I've told you a testimony in my life so many times that the Lord has healed me of my back, of my neck, of my knees, of all these different things. And for the most time, I didn't even notice that it happened until I went to do something and it didn't hurt no more. It wasn't like, oh, lightning struck me. Now I'm well. It was just walking along. And he healed me, and I kept walking along. And then when I went to need to do something with that back or need to look left or right with that neck, it didn't hurt no more. But how many knows that, that your body just gets better all on its own? If you were to break your leg right now, that if you're just sitting here, it'll get better on its own. That way it sounds right? That don't sound right, does it? It don't get better. Things don't get better on their own. So maybe, uh, say we had a broken leg and, and we at least set the bone. And now it's where it should be, but it's still broken. It'll get better on its own. Nobody interferes. Still not right. It takes something to make a difference. Life is the healer. Who is life? Who is life? God willing more abundantly, so abundantly, so 
graciously, so with such exuberance, with such zeal, with such fire, with such passion, to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel that he confirmed it by an oath. See, I can't remember exactly which scripture it is, but it talks about the power of an endless life. Him having the power of an endless life. And we, we made that statement to you before that if a man that you knew could not lie made you a promise, would you be able to believe it? If someone that could not lie made you a promise, could you believe it? See, he doesn't just not lie, but he also can't die. So now you're, you're back to thinking about time. Well, Abraham was so many years ago, surely that promise had been used up by the time it got to me. Surely that God was, you know, 6,000 years is a long time for a God to live. Most gods don't live 6,000 years. Does that sound funny? How old is Dagon? How old is Allah? How old is Muhammad? How old are all these guys, all these Christians? They're not that old, and they're made with hands. So if you think about the normal thought of a god, well, maybe it could be wore out. Maybe it couldn't be done. Maybe someone else used up all the godhood. This one can't change. He can't lie. He can't die. And he keeps his word. He keeps his word. He confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, that we might have a strong consolation. I think he wants you to believe him tonight that we might have a strong consolation who hath fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that was set before us. <coughs> Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and, and which entereth into that within the veil. Back to that veil again, entering into the veil. See, everything that Adam lost, Adam lost his communion and his fellowship, and God longed to get back to that. But not just like that, not just like that, not just um, someone that knew him as the creator, but someone that knew him every aspect of his personality, every facet of his attributes. That's what he wants. So to what Adam lost, and even to the type of that we, we kind of gently touched on about that tabernacle in the wilderness, the outer court, the inner court, the holy of holies. In that holy of holies is where the Shekinah glory lives. Now, we're each one here tonight. It's always in threes. You're each one here tonight, a body, soul, and a spirit. Each one of you are here. It's interesting how God uses that number of threes, body, soul, spirit, body, soul, spirit, water, blood, fire, water, blood, fire, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, offices, manifestations, and attributes. It's interesting on those threes the way God moves for this being here. In, the, in that surrendering of your life, and this is a, a, a physical temple that it, without guards being there that you could walk right through perhaps until he struck you dead, guards kept you from that. They wouldn't let just anyone walk in there because then somebody's got to get the body out. <coughs> in, in, in the fall, in, that, in that, uh, that, that curse that was put between you and him, there was no way to span that. There was no way to span from this side of sin to that side of fellowship. There was no way to span from this side of sin to that side of communion. 
There was no way to span from this side of sin to that side of eternal life. So what he did was make a way to span. He made a way that gained access. And, and I'm trying to say it every which way I can think of it so that your mind can walk right into there and say, that's mine. I know it's a Wednesday night. I know we're all tired. I know it's easy to get distracted. But to what he did, Ephesians talks about having gained access into that holy of holies. Let me read a little bit further in this. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, that veil, the forerunner, Christ, the firstfruits, the wave sheet of his day, which is the Shekinah glory in a human form, which is the eternal Zoe life of God in a human form. He came and he spanned and it caused him a forerunner. It means he went before us. Then you find the type of, of the, the apostles on the sea. Jesus comes walking on the water. Again, daily life, daily trouble, daily struggle. Now we're out here. We're about to die in this test, in this trial. We're going to drown any second. And here comes Jesus walking on the water. Here comes Jesus walking on the water. And it didn't get better. It wasn't like that the storm went away. The storm was still tumultuous and, and tempestuous. And, and, and the Bible talks about it. It's very tempestuous round about him. But he comes walking on the water. And Peter, in his test, in his trial, in his normal everyday life, he's about to die. And he sees someone. And he believes someone. And he asks that question. In his daily life. He's showing you, come nearer. Come nearer. It's the type of that, that when Adam and Eve were run out of the garden, they were run from the tree of life, and it put two guards there with flaming swords to ensure and guarantee that they could not get back to that tree of life. Now, what is so valuable about this tree, this one particular tree? Who cares about this particular tree? <coughs> that it would bring sin and death upon all the world to drink of this other tree and not of this tree, but you can't eat of that tree and come to this tree. You will pollute and poison yourself not it it can't be changed you'll pollute and poison yourself you have the angels that were cast out and they're no longer in an angelic uh, description now they're considered demons they were trying to get to that tree of life thereby they got bound by the river euphrates a religious spirit that knew that that tree of life means everything and the access to it means everything they come, they try to get through it, and they're stopped by the river Euphrates. I don't know what the difference between a religious spirit and a not religious spirit. I don't know why one values the tree of life and one does not, but they were on their way back, and they got stopped. A religious spirit bound at the river Euphrates. This day, they've been turned loose. They want that tree of life maybe more than you want it. They want that access. They lived there. They lived however many years in that presence. So that's the kind of glory. Watching him every day all these times. But they were deceived. They were deceived. And they were kicked out. But they value that tree of life. To the point so, but it's darkness. All darkness is in that. In that demon, that being of darkness. But they still want the tree of life because they know what it's right. They know that that tree of life would keep them from the lake of fire. If you knew that that's where you were going, that you knew it without a shadow of a doubt, that's where I'm going, I would do everything with my power to keep myself from there. Satan, his plan, his motives and objective is to keep you so stalled out, 
so down and beaten to where you can't rise into what God has for you so it gives him more time. You understand that? The longer you stay discouraged, beat down, don't even know and live and your means, all these things, you won't stand up and fight him and usher him to the lake of fire. So why would he not give you a bad day every day? Why would he not discourage and distract and pour so much junk on your life to keep you from standing up and saying, you're a lie, he's the truth. It means everything. That tree of life, it means everything. It is God himself. It is God himself. It's eternal life. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the new birth. And what it is is just communion and fellowship with him. Everything they lost, everything Lucifer lost, everything Adam lost, you've been granted access. The way they did it was through the vehicle or the, the avenue of a body called Jesus, of, a, of that flesh, of that creative blood cell and hemoglobin, all that was put together to make a way for a kinsman redeemer to, 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 to span that gap and then to invite you in. Now, uh, um, I think it's in the type of the, of the pyramid there in Egypt that, that one of the gate, the, the, they're in Gaza, that Enoch had built. That I think it's Isaiah that calls that pyramid an altar unto the Lord in the gates of Egypt. I have to look up the scripture and see where it says. But, but when you're coming into the king's chamber, as you're moving through that pyramid and you come up to a point where there's a king's chamber, it's so high up that you cannot get to it by yourself. You can't climb up yourself without a ladder, without something else. But they have a man stands there and grabs you and pulls you into it. A, a friend of mine that was my adopted grandpa, he got to go visit whatever years ago. And he said, yeah, he's still alive. He's an older brother now. But, but he had said, Brother Branham had told me about seeing this pyramid. And he said, there's a man. They keep a strong man that grabs your hand and pulls you up into the king's chamber. He said, what he didn't tell me was, then they charge like a dollar to do that or something like that. That would be a dollar. He said, but they pull you. Someone has to take you and pull you, which is Revelations 4. Come up higher. Come up into. Bring your way into the Holy of Holies. That, that, that coming into that place with him, this forerunner, this, this access, this way that you could get back. He did this to span the gap, which gives you the Holy Ghost, which is the new birth, which is the, 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 the transference from this world, this life, love and cares of the flesh into that heavenly realm or heavenly place. And the way this is done is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is your hope, which is your anchor, which is sure, which is steadfast, and it entereth into that within the veil. And they're not talking about your life right here. We're talking about transferring from here to there. We touched on this um, just Sunday uh, about the, the, what it takes to take a rapture. What it takes to take a rapture. You will not take a rapture without the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You will not take a rapture without the new birth. You will not take that rapture without the baptism of the Holy Ghost, without that life of God living in you. Now, and we talked about uh, the three, Brother Ram was telling there were three raptures in the Old Testament, there's three raptures in the New Testament. And we touched on Sunday about how the Lord Jesus was the last rapture, the third rapture of the Old Testament, that the saints of old that he brought up from the paradise, that they were the first rapture of the New Testament. We shared with you how that, that of course, Jesus is the Holy Ghost. And how did these that were in that were not in the upper room, that were in paradise, how did they get the Holy Ghost? Because you don't take a rapture without the Holy Ghost. 
what actually had happened was while they're there in paradise, the prophet would tell you that as the Lord went down and grabbed the keys of death, hell, and the grave from Satan and proved to him who the abstract title deed holder was, which was Elohim, which was the creator God, went back to the hands of the original owner. The prophet said as he's walking back up to earth that he hears the most prettiest singing. He hears the most beautiful singing. And that was the saints of old, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of those that have went before. And they're there, and each one recognized him in the manifestation for their day. That's the one I ate meat with in the cool of the evening. That's the one that was in the wheel in the middle of the wheel. That's, you understand, each one as far as the representation. And then they brought up, and they were here 30 to 40 days before, after, the, after he was you know, raised from the dead. And the others started to recognize them. I don't know how people can recognize from what would have been 3,000 years, 2,500 years, what Abraham looked like. But even Caiaphas started recognizing, wait, I know you. And it's Abraham tells Sarah, we got to go. <clears throat> so first rapture of the New Testament, how did they get the Holy Ghost? They didn't stick around to the day of Pentecost. It was 120 days after the ascension, right? Or resurrection, 120. But, but still, they weren't there. So how did they get the Holy Ghost to take their rapture? Your prophet, if you believe him to be a prophet, said they took a rapture. Your prophet says you don't take a, a, a rapture without the Holy Ghost. How'd they get the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost came to them. The Holy Ghost came and got them. Who is the Holy Ghost? Now we're dealing with Godhead again. Who is the Holy Ghost? Who's the Father? Who is Jesus' Father? God or the Holy Ghost? Same one. So the Holy Ghost came to them. He said, I'll send you another comforter. And this is what he did. So then they were able to take that rapture. How do you take a rapture? The Holy Ghost comes to you. Well, I chose God, and I picked God. And when I was born, I thought, what I should do with my life is I should love God, and I should seek God, and I should search for God and surrender my life to him. And that's not one of us ever said that. No man seeks after God at any time, the Bible says. No man seeks. We love him because he first loved us. He came to you. He spanned the gap, and he come to you to bring you into himself. And uh, as far as the, then you have the third rapture, which would be Moses and Elijah. They're in the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, that, that if you listen to the message, the rapture, Brother Ram talks about those two witnesses, the Moses and Elijah. He said they do all these things, everything they do, which you walk through Revelation 11 and see everything that's done, call down fire from heaven, call down all these plagues. They do them by the Spirit of God, which is the Holy Ghost. So now we've got Moses and Elijah. Moses died how many years ago it was. Moses wasn't dead very long. This is a dispute you find here in, in Jude where, where Lucifer comes to Michael disputing over the, the body of Moses. God, he died because of what he did. He did not obey the voice of the Lord. He did something God said not to do, so he could not go into Canaan land. He could only see it from afar off. So God, he died. He went the way of the grave. Then he was immediately resurrected back up. I don't know how long, three days, four days, 120 days. doesn't matter when you're talking about the resurrection of the life. We all agree. Jesus was in the grave less than three days, less than three days. Elijah was in the grave for over four days, or at least four days. It does not matter when you're talking about him. Skin worms had already started destroying Lazarus' body. You're talking about the resurrection of the life. So when he comes forth, he'll be healed of whatever was done. So Moses brought back, healed, restored. I don't believe that he was 120. Do you think he'll be 120? I kind of don't think he will be. I think he'll be in the prime of his life in Revelation 11. I think Elijah will be. See, Elijah doesn't never tell you how old Elijah was when Elijah took his rapture. 
And you understand Elijah was the second rapture in the Old Testament. You understand that? The second rapture in the Old Testament was Elijah. So the Holy Ghost had not been given yet outside of just a few instances such as John before the upper room, the Pentecost experience. So how did Elijah get the Holy Ghost? What does John talk about the Holy Ghost in, in Matthew 3? He said, there's one coming behind me that will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He describes it, and with fire. What was the chariot made of that picked up Elijah? All fire. The Holy Ghost and fire. Scooped him up. Gone. You see how real he is? The same one that's inside you right now took Elijah. The same one that's in you right now took those old pro those prophets, those saints of old then. The same one that took the body of Jesus, the same one that would take you, is the same one that would take Moses and Elijah back up again that third time. The third, the third rapture. That you know, that's the same one. It, it's amazing when you see all of these, these, these um, 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 uh, manifestations, these representations of God. I see him there, I, and it's not just fifty years ago. It's not just a thousand years ago. It's not just two thousand, but all the way back. It's the self same one, self same one all the time. You're starting to see a pattern of someone's character. You're starting to see an attribute of a life and a love that truly is for you. And what does Paul say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, you, you take that. If God is for us, who can be against us? Those are the words of Paul in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, Corinthians. I can't remember. You also take the same words of Christ, the Lord Jesus, as he says, greater is he that's in you. He's like, that's me. In case you're wondering, that's in me. Than he that's in the world. So if God be for us, who can be against us? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I think you're going to make it. I truly think you're going to make it. I don't care what happens tomorrow. I was trying to get that thought across to you on Sunday about Hebrews 11, chapter 3, that we understand the things that, that, that you're standing on right now, this world. This rock, this, this thing that floats in space, I don't know how big it is, I don't know how round, I don't know if it's perfectly round, I don't understand those things. But it was made from something that did not appear. It was literally made from invisible, invisible elements. You understand that? It was made, what you're standing on right now, this concrete, this VCT, this dirt, this core, all these minerals was made from something that did not appear. The Bible says, Hebrews 11 through 11, 3, that you understand it was made from things which do not appear. And it's now something that you can see. So you imagine if your life could walk by faith and not by sight, if it truly was, if you were able to take that promise of God all the way back in Genesis, as he said, let there be, and you link that with Hebrews 11, 3, and you say that if even if it had not come into fruition yet, I can stand on it. I'm not walking by faith, I'm walking by sight. I'm taking the promise of God of what he says, even if it hasn't come into visible tangibility yet. I believe it because he said it. I believe it because he said it. It's what Abraham did. Abraham believed it. But the Bible said every day, Sarah, you pregnant? Sarah, you maybe tomorrow. Sarah, you pregnant? We'll wait tomorrow. Sarah, you pregnant? Tomorrow. Sarah, you every day. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe it. I'm talking about higher than that. I'm talking about to stand on the promise of God as though it's become real because he's the only thing that is real. And I shared that thought to you that if, if, if say this building, right now we're about, we're just a little bit above 
flush with the ground. We're just about 10 inches or so off the actual soil of where they built up. You saw the roads like that. So imagine this building was invisible, but the Word declared it. The Word declared it. You with me? Imagine this building was invisible, yet the Word declared it. That said that it was here. That said that it was real. And you look outside, and you're standing in the room. You're standing. Your feet are standing in the room. But you look everywhere, and it's nothing's there. It, you can't, nothing's there. You follow my thought? What if it had two floors in this invisible room? But the Word declared it. And you walked up an invisible set of stairs and was on a second floor in an invisible second floor. See right through the walls. See everything going on. Now you're on the second floor of an invisible room. What if it's three stories? What if it's a thousand stories? You keep walking up. Your mind is thinking, man, this is just the most craziest, insane thought what it was. But your eyes will deceive you. Your feeling will deceive you and will tell you something's real when it's not real. It's not real. The only thing that's real is what his promise says. Nothing else is real. That's 2 Corinthians 4.18. Nothing else is real. Everything you can see, it's temporary. Everything you cannot see is eternal. So your eyes are literally deceiving you. I'm holding this. I'm touching this. No, I'm feeling this. Or, or I'm seeing something missing or all these things. Or I don't feel good. That's not what's true. What's true is the promise of God. How high can you go? Let's all stand on our feet tonight. How high can you go? It's very easy to say, I've lost my mind. I've gotten crazy. I'm throwing out strange imagination of ideas. But we're talking about the Word of God. And Peter, they would have easily told Peter, what are you thinking? No one can stand on water. You cannot stand on water. No one can stand on water. But he said I could. He said I could. I believe he's not a liar. I believe he can bring it to pass. And he jumps out and lands on something that you can't stand on. That you can't stand on. You can stand on the word of God. I know this. You've heard this all the time in your life. You can stand on the promise of God. But how much did you let your faith stretch out over? What's it going to take to make a body change? Like I've said this many times, each morning, each one of us get up in this flesh, and you have whatever aches and pains you get up each day. Every day you get up with something, stiff from laying too long. Maybe you had each day. There's coming a faith that will be so enveloped that one day you'll swing your legs over and nothing's going to hurt. Can you imagine such a day? Maybe it's been so long since you were 18, those days seem long gone. I'm only 42, and I get stiffer and stiffer each day. I have to stretch more and more. But can it be a day that a body will be turned back? So, the first rapture in the Old Testament of Enoch, that it, we, don't get as, we don't have as much detail about what happened. What it says was, one day he's so far from home, he didn't go back. What if it meant one day he got a revelation that my body don't feel the same way it used to. Maybe he was, because he would have been 300 something years old, I think it was. Maybe he had some injuries in his life. Maybe he had a stiff leg, stiff neck, stiff back. And one day he's like, wait a minute. 
I don't. Did I see Todd and Farfetch? Brother Brad was on that mountain there in Colorado, and the Lord said, come walk with me. And he stepped out of this realm into another realm. He said, I looked down at my hands. They weren't wrinkled no more. He said, I looked at my hands and my skin. I wasn't wrinkled no more. I stepped into another dimension where he exists. First runner, first fruit of what we have access to. I promise I'll set your heart on fire tonight. I hope I haven't painted a picture so bizarre that, that you can't see what God has. But it is truly so far above the reach of what you would consider real, what you would consider tangible, so far above that. Yeah.
yourself to us, Lord. How blessed we are tonight. How blessed we are tonight, Lord, that you would have chosen all those eons ago to lay the pattern of you, Lord, over our lives. You chose us, predestinated, foreknown. Thank you for that, Lord. We are so grateful, Lord, for your picking of us, Lord. Not, not one of us are worthy. Not one of us can do anything in our own life is worthy, Lord, but a worthy one has taken our place. We appreciate you so very much for your goodness and your mercy to us here tonight, Lord. Thank you for all you do in our lives. We would not make it one second in this world, Father, without you. We thoroughly understand that Satan's plan each day is to steal, kill, and destroy each and every day. Lord, we know we would not make it, Lord, without your mercy, without your defense, without your protection, without your life, without your love, Lord. And we don't want to live without it, Lord. I don't want to live one second. I don't want to go one moment of my life, Lord, without knowing you, without being close to you, Lord. My heart's cry, passion, and, and longing within me, Lord, is to know more and to be drawn nearer, Lord. Draw us nearer tonight. We love you, Lord Jesus. Bless my brothers and sisters as they go back out to resume their fight, Lord, and their tests and their trials. Let them remember, Lord, and, and maybe have a greater understanding after tonight, Lord, of just how close you are, Father. Right there in every single test, Lord, no matter how seemingly meaningless it might be, Lord, you are still our God, and you go with us, Father. We love you so much. Bless our brothers and sisters, Lord. Bless their bodies, Lord. Bless their spirits. Bless their souls, Lord God. Be near to them, Lord. Bless them, Lord, in their jobs and in their all their, their, all their daily life, Lord. Let, just bless them every which way their hand turns, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. For all the prayer requests, Lord, for the testimony that was turned in, Lord, I believe you still give sight to the blind, Father. I believe that you're still the, the raiser of the dead, that you're the healer of our bodies, that you're the lifter of our head, that you're the, the one that brings peace, the one that brings joy. Lord, I believe your attribute, Lord. I've seen them. I've tasted of that fruit of home. 